This is Live Wired in Calgary. Hello, Calgary. Welcome back for another installment of Live Wired in Calgary. I am your host, Darren Krause, editor at LiveWireCalgary.com. This show isn't possible without the partnership with CJSW 90.9 FM, and it's recorded here at the University of Calgary on traditional Treaty 7 land. We've got a great show this month. Have you heard of heavy armored combat? Three Calgary-area competitors are headed to the World Championships in Spain, and we will talk with one of them. We joined the Beltline Bike Club at Two Wheel View earlier this month, and I have a chat with Executive Director Laura Eisted about the youth outreach they're doing through bikes. We'll also catch you up with the latest on the Joe Maglioka expense situation, and I may have a few thoughts for you on that. All that... And on your radar for March, so stick around. Check out Livewire Calgary on social media, on Twitter at Livewire Calgary, on Instagram at Livewire underscore Calgary, and like us on Facebook. Ah, the sounds of medieval battle. Swords, axes, armor... Well, there's a group here in Calgary called the Heavy Armored Combat Sports Association. It's a group right now of roughly 20 people that get together once a week, don their armor, grab a sword, and, well, beat each other into submission. I caught up with Richard Manns to talk about the sport, its growth in Calgary, and three Calgary-area competitors headed to Spain for the World Championships. So the short version is we have, we have teams all over the West Coast. Right. And uh, not too many people have heard of uh, Armored Combat, which is why we're trying to get the word out and uh, do this kind of stuff. So we built a, uh, a society uh, that has about eight teams in it right now. Uh, Lethbridge, uh, Calgary, Edmonton, Brooks, Hinton, Victoria, uh, Yukon has Whitehorse, uh, and Regina. Right. Uh, the Calgary team has, uh, I've kind of started it from nothing uh, about a year and a half ago, and we have grown to almost 20 members now. Oh, wow. Yeah. We, uh, we practice at a gym over by the Cheesecake Cafe, the one on McLeod. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. We, um, we actually just put on a tournament uh, with 50 participants from all over Canada. Wow. As well as uh, Texas, and that was in Okotoks on January 18th and 19th. Right. And we had uh, 500 people in the stands. Wow. And going. Yeah. And in fact, we have an even larger event that you might be interested in. Yeah. That's... Uh, Ju- June 19th to 21, we have the uh, Nutrient Center downtown at the Stampede Grounds. Yeah. They're renting the entire thing for us. Now, I did notice in going through your website, Richard, that there's all sorts of international events as well. Would you say that there's that there's it's it's bigger in other parts of the world, and we're just kind of huge in Europe? Are are we just kind of getting it started here in North America, or we're just getting it started here in North America? 
U.S. has their own league. Mm-hmm. The major league right now is the ACS, Armored Combat Sports. It used to be the ACL. Right. Um, they were the guys who did that TV show, Night Fight, on History Channel. That's us. We, wow. we do the same thing. It's, wow. uh, it, it was like, it's kind of unheard of, you know, two years ago, three years ago in Canada. And now I've been working really hard to build its notoriety. Right. So, I, I mean, tell me a little bit about it because... Like, on the surface, you'd think, holy crap, these guys are actually, you know, swinging weapons at each other. Um, even yeah. even though they have the armor, I mean, there's got to be, I mean, this has got to hurt. It, it does, kind of. Uh, uh, okay, so I'll, I'll start off describing the sport. The sport sure. is, uh, we have two different ways of doing the sport. We have what's called group fights or booher. That is where a group of teams get together and fight each other. And they attempt to make their opposing team make three points of contact with the ground. The, you can do that by almost any means, with the exception of a few rules, such as no stabbing, no hitting the back of the knee, no kicking on a guy in the balls kind of thing. Right. Um, so there, and no chopping to the neck. Other than that, you can punch, you can kick, you can throw, you can trip, you can strike, you can hit him with halberds, you can hit him with axes, you can punch him in the face, you can do any of that stuff in order to get him to make three points of contact with the ground. Okay. Then, then we have uh, duels. Duels are uh, point-based, very much like fencing in Olympics, except with armor and hitting each other really hard. The points are counted usually based on... We don't do body parts so much, although there is rule sets for that. It's uh, you must make sufficient contact in order to get a point. Like if you tap each other, it's not a point. And you, we have longsword, polearm, sword and shield. And the last category is pro fights. Mm-hmm. And pro fights is essentially MMA, UFC in armor. Uh, the guys here at Calgary, it'll be me and the two brothers, yeah. uh, Warren and Ryan. Yeah. They are on my team, right. and we will be flying there. Warren uh, got uh, polearm. He is the polearm duelist, and because uh, I focused on the tournament, like making sure the tournament was running rather mm-hmm. than participating. Sure. Uh, I, I am in the 16s and the 10s, and Ryan is in the 10s and probably 16s with me. You, you've got all of this armor and it's got to be super heavy i mean what what what's that like to try and transport especially by air it's difficult yeah uh during the i was the long sword representative for canada last year right uh and the ukraine uh i can tell you that i pay a ton in airfare luggage fees transportation splitting up armor and weapons and you get a lot of questions from uh uh, customs and those kind of things when they're looking at your bag like what is this <laughs> why do you have swords man <laughs> yeah and uh, i bring my helmet as a check-on so yeah. when i'm carrying it with me uh you get a lot of looks <laughs> i could imagine and so obviously the calgary event that you have planned at the nutrient center that one is going to help continue to build that profile you got you know, people coming from all over. I mean, what what are you hoping for? What are you expecting out of that event? Right now, we're hoping for a little more Canada-wide recognition. Um, we're hoping for improved uh, relations between us and the uh, Americans, Mexicans, possibly South Americans. Um, right. the, we want the Europeans to start seeing us as 
big contenders in putting on events in this sport. And this kind of thing, as it gets bigger every year, is going to really get us a lot more worldwide attention. Oh, there's a big tournament in Calgary, and we've got 5,000 people in the audience, and we want to televise this. And that's really something I think that'll help us grow. Earlier this month, I got invited to Two Wheel Views Beltline Bike Club. It's a group of about 10 teens that get together weekly to build bikes from scratch. As you'll hear from Laura Eisted, Executive Director, the bike is just the entry point for a whole lot more. We are the only uh, bicycle recyclery in the city of Calgary um, at this point. So we get, last, last year we had 1,300 bikes donated um, to help kind of keep us rolling as well as other agencies um, as well. So when a bike uh, comes through the door, we determine whether it's going to be suitable for our earn a bike program that the youth participate in for 10 weeks and then earn a bicycle. Um, if not, we try to put it in our social enterprise to help support those programs and keep them, uh, their wheels on the road. And if we can't use the bikes in that way, we connect it with another agency, Kiwanis Club, uh, UFC. There's a few other places that we work with. And, and then um, and then the last stop is recycling if we're not able to use it or if it's in um, such disrepair that we can't use it beyond that. So tell me how the process works, right? From like the, the very base, you know, people bring their bikes in. Mm-hmm. And, and, and where does it go from there? Yeah, so we determine which uh, program of ours it would be suitable to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, so like our, our youth really like mountain bikes or BMXs or sometimes road bikes, but in our programs, the youth are allowed to request what kind of bike they want to earn. Um, so we do our best to match up uh, their dream bike with the bikes we have in our, in our, that have been donated. Um, so if we can't use it in that program, then we see if it might be suitable for our social enterprise. It then gets sold potentially and, you know, up at the front of the store and then we um, get some more bikes out into the community as well. But um, it helps. It really has been helping us uh, fundraise as well in a big way. And we've we've only been doing that since uh, September 2017. So it's been growing every year. So and then, yeah, we, we connect bikes with other agencies. And then, yeah, we recycle a lot of metal and rubber as well. And so, I mean, there's obviously more to bikes than this. There's, you know, the... The fact that they're here, they're yep. learning skills, there's, yep. um, you know, just, I mean, I, I did take a look at the, at the website and some of the yeah. things and some of the mission is, is it, you know, essentially keeping kids out of trouble, absolutely. keeping them occupied. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really not actually about the bike. Most right. of the time, um, our we use the that, bike is the entry point. The bike right? is the entry point. It's the conversation starter. It's that piece that you know might bring somebody who's uncomfortable with you know social connection or has has trouble with academics or has you know but real is really good with using their hands. And it, it's a conversation point for deeper conversations with young people and having you know conversations with that they're struggling in school or conversations where they're feeling not very confident mm-hmm. or they're just really. Um, you know, feeling challenged by life. And it's, it's hard to be, it was always hard to be a teenager, but it's really hard to be a teenager now too. And, and so, you know, those, those social emotional learning skills that we can teach them by, they have to work as a group sometimes on bikes. Mm -hmm. How do you navigate, you know, doing mechanics with another person? How do you, you know, sit at a table like they are right now, um, you know, and engage with other, other, you know, social, build social skills and, and life skills. Like, you know, a lot of our youth that come into the program have never touched a wrench before or don't know Mm -hmm. the difference between a wrench and a screwdriver. So really basic life skills and really important life skills, but also um, some really great soft skills to social emotional learning. Um, empathy, um, emotional regulation, uh, team build, like teamwork, leadership. 
So we work on all of those uh, different aspects while using the bike to do that. So are the youth who participate, are they referred to you or do they come in voluntarily? How does that work? It depends on the program. So in our bike club program, all of our, we work mostly in schools with that 10 week after school program. Mostly they're selected by their teachers or the teachers, you know, kind of identify youth who wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity and could really benefit from the program. So that looks like a multitude of things. Um, that's not necessarily based on economics either. Um, if a young person's, you know, lacking social connection or if they're new to the country and they don't have you know they don't have kind of a cohort of buddies that they are identifying with or you know they're just really struggling in school and but they're amazing with their hands and can use you know can take a bike apart um this way and that way and, and, and things like that. We work with um, the Autism Asperger's Friendship Society as well. And so those young people, the social skills are maybe challenging, but they're really great at bike mechanics because they're just wired that way. So we, so in those programs, the our program partners help identify the youth. Uh, for this program, we recruit so our, our Beltline Bike Club. They're here every Thursday after school uh, for the entire school year. Um, so we And we also do a bike trip with them as well and they are referred uh, kind of find out word of mouth we talk to some you know kind of local high schools and different agencies that have youth that might benefit from the program and and so they come from all walks of life and we believe that the bulk of our young people come from situations that would can be considered you know to have barriers in a variety of ways we don't deny any uh, young person access to our program because all youth, regardless of your socioeconomic outlook, can benefit from leadership skills and empathy and kindness and teamwork and, and things like that. So, yeah. So what do they do when they're here? Give me an idea. Like, like is, it, is it scheduled? Is it very structured in terms of, you know, you have the snack, then you do, like, what's next? How, yeah, how, how that depends on our program, too. Um, okay. And we also run a, an employability program that we just oh, piloted okay. last summer. So we work with, actually, 18 to 24-year-olds in that program. Um, and those are referred from other agencies. So the Alex, Discovering Choices High School, the CBE, and a bunch of other agencies identify youth that are not in education uh, training or uh, employed at that time. And they come in, they do an intensive, they get actually paid to attend bike club here. Oh, cool. um, and then they go out and do community practicums where they're also paid and they participate in bike shops and, and other places kind of trying, you know, mostly bike shops, but trying to connect them with places. So that are, are they sharing those skills like mm -hmm. that they've learned here? Yep. Oh, that's really yeah, cool. Yeah, so and they do, uh, we do financial literacy with them through momentum and a few other different kind of life skill uh, supports um, with that program so we just got uh, renewed funding to do that program for the next three summers uh, with a cohort of youth so those ones are referred so we have kind of each program has its own sort of referral model but and and similar to that each program has kind of its own flow so our 10-week programs quite a bit more structured um, just because we only have 10 weeks with those young people so we do three we are out at schools eight like eight locations a week um, two a day four days a week um, and uh, three kind of three sessions a year as the 10 weeks every 10 weeks kind of runs out um, so with them we only have a limited amount of time so we try to cram in you know as much as we can with the social emotional learning as well as the mechanics so that one's pretty structured but we do also try to you know lean into the teachable moments that that group might be needing at you know any given time and what's going on in the lives of those young people here it's a lot more uh, with our beltline bike club it's a lot more kind of fluid and and a lot more they have a lot more say as to what's going on they get to um, help us choose what snack is going to be they help prepare the snack they get to you know 
sometimes it's very heavy on the bike parts um, and they're working on that and sometimes you know they're doing a lot more in the spring they'll go out on more rides and be out in the community a lot more so they because we have a longer time with them they have a lot more mm -hmm. uh, flexibility and similar with our gap employability program there's some structure but also trying to lean into those conversations and the challenges that the young people are going with at, you know any given day do you teach them like are you a cyclist are you savvy with all of this uh, or, or do you bring in you know professionals from the bike community to give them some tips so we have um we try to use as many community members as we can to engage the space and activate the space and and we have a, a you know a, a big uh a group of volunteers from all walks of life a lot of retirees that mm -hmm. just like tinkering on bikes and want to come and have the time during the day to come and hang out with us um we have different people with um kind of different uh, developmental or physical disabilities that come and hang out with us as well and contribute a lot to the space and uh, you know we have uh, eight facilitators that are employed here and that are bike mechanics as well as youth development workers and so they go out to program every day and facilitate the programs in the community and then we have uh, four really amazingly smart uh, coordinators that do various aspects of our program um, including one of them um, Hank who is our shop manager here who kind of keeps everything flowing and making sure that we don't end up with a tsunami of bicycles <laughs> that swallows us all um, and then myself and um, our um, our uh, financial uh, person who does all of our bookkeeping and okay. things like that so uh, even though you say you don't want a tsunami of bicycles I'm just taking a look around here and it looks like a tsunami of bicycles compare this is actually low for us uh, winter time is a little less busy which is kind of nice although you know even in that really cold week we still got donations um, the tricky part for us is just managing the amount because there are a lot of bikes out there in people's garages and people's backyards and sheds and and so um, we've it, it's that challenging balance of like letting people we know we are there but also not creating too too much demand yeah. and how long have you been here I've been here nine years nine yeah years. nine years was nine years in November I started off as an intern oh, did yep you? yeah I was a uh, part of a program with the YMCA and the federal government that was for people who are um, unemployed or underemployed in the environmental sector and I have a degree in environmental education uh, and communications from Royal Roads and I just there wasn't a lot and when you're in Alberta there isn't necessarily a lot in that sort of stream of work uh, all the time and I had worked for the provincial government prior and uh, there'd been a hiring freeze so the contract couldn't get renewed so I fit perfectly into this program and applied thinking they're probably not going to take me because I don't know bike mechanics at all and I but I'd done a lot of youth facilitation and youth sure. development work and I got the gig and then through the process of that just I got a we got a grant through the Calgary Foundation for me to start a volunteer program and then just kind of kept kind of kept going from there and working with really closely with the founder for seven years and and then have been executive director for two and a half and so through all of that through all of the changes through all of the time what's kept you here there's got to be something that that kind of really speaks to you about, yeah. about what you're doing here the people I think the people the young people the impact you know I've had conversations even just today about young people that are really struggling uh, in their lives but they want to be here mm -hmm. they they don't want to do anything else but they want to be here mm -hmm. and for me that's such a that's the driving force is finding a place of where people can belong and feel like they belong regardless of where they come from where they what language they might you know speak you know their socioeconomic status that we're giving these young people and just our, our whole team an opportunity to really uh, feel a part of something and feel like they're contributing to what this place is 
Check out Livewire Calgary on social media, on Twitter at Livewire Calgary, on Instagram at Livewire underscore Calgary, and like us on Facebook. All right, we'll start on your radar off a little bit newsier this month. The province announced that their next throne speech would take place February 25th at roughly 1.30 p.m. Of course, we're always looking for clues as to what's ahead for Alberta in that. A couple of days later on February 27th is the budget. Now, we've already seen some of the impacts of budget cuts in Alberta, and it will be interesting to hear what's next for the province in the first full-year budget tabled by Premier Jason Kenney's government. Moving right into March, uh, starting March 6th, is the Calgary Wellness Expo from 5 to 9 p.m. at the Nutrient Event Centre at Stampede Park. March 7th from 5 to 9 p.m. is the International Women's Day Women and Wealth Gala at the TELUS Convention Centre. March 8th and 9th is a qualifying event for Alberta's next drag superstar at Twisted Element. Of course, we've got St. Patrick's Day coming up. Don't forget to wear your green, drink your green beer. But really, is it ever okay to pinch someone when they're not wearing a certain color? I don't think so. Bob Saget is here March 14th. Not sure if there's tickets still available for that one, but it's sure to be hilarious. March 21st is the start of the Calgary Outdoor Adventure Show. Spring will have just arrived and people will be getting ready for our robust outdoor season. Looking forward to it. On March 24th at the Radisson Hotel, there is a job fair if you are one of the many people here in Calgary who are still searching for employment. That goes from 1 to 4 p.m. Dress sharp and have your resumes handy. A special meeting of council was convened last week and the intent appeared to be to get a head start on taking action in the Councillor Joe Maglioka expense affair. Of course, the Calgary Herald's Megan Potkins originally broke the story about Maglioka's $6,400 tab for the Federation of Canadian Municipalities Conference in Quebec City and later followed up by Madeline Smith that none of the people he listed on hosting receipts actually recall meeting with the Ward 2 councillor. Following that, the city's integrity commissioner, Sal Lovecchio, recused himself from the investigation after Maglioka's expenses showed a $165 personal meal with Lovecchio in July of 2019. Council spent more than four hours behind closed doors Wednesday and then pushed public debate and action moving forward to next week, which is this week. Here's some audio from Mayor Nahed Nenchi after the group broke from their session last week. So that will be discussed by Council in a public session on Monday. Fundamentally, uh, I think that it's fair to say that most councillors are aligned with the basic concepts of the notice of motion that was brought forth. We have a, we do have a very specific problem, which is the integrity commissioner recused himself, and rightly so, it was exactly the right thing to do. But in our policy, we never actually wrote what happens if the integrity commissioner recuses themselves. Uh, you know, if a judge recuses themselves, it happens all the time. It just goes to the next judge. They kind of trade a case. Unfortunately, we've only got the one integrity commissioner. So ultimately, uh, council with administration needs to figure out how to dispense with the complaints that have been brought forward. It's, it's actually not a particularly controversial question. It's just where it makes sense and how we're going to fund it outside of the integrity commissioner office. So why was that not decided today in the closed session? Because it's, it's five after six. We wanted to have the discussion in public. 
uh, and given that that notice of motion is placed on the agenda for next Monday, we should be able to answer some of the technical questions around funding between now and Monday and have a pretty straightforward conversation on Monday. You know, I know that a couple of members of council have an amendment they want to put forward about expanding the scope. Uh, and that's a discussion we'll have in public on Monday. Councillor Megalioko is not here today. Um, is that by choice or is, is he not allowed to take part in this? Uh, under the rules, there is only one reason under which a councillor may exempt themselves from a meeting, and that's if they've got a pecuniary or a financial interest. But that is something that must be done in public. So you have to stand up in the meeting and say, I've got a, I've got a pecuniary interest, I'm not going to participate. Uh, that did not happen today, so in this case it will just be marked as an absence. Where is Councillor Maglioka? I have no idea. You haven't spoken to him at all? You literally don't know where he is? I have not spoken to him today and I don't know where he is. Um, there was some talk about uh, potentially changing Councillor Colombeck's motion, potentially removing Councillor Maglioka's name, although he would have to declare that himself. Do you expect that motion will look a bit different when you see it on the uh, Yeah, the issue of the names on it is actually uninteresting, uh, but it was really important to get the motion exactly right. Uh, it was very, it was well done and it, and it addressed the critical issues. But there's probably a few things we need to sort out, like should it be the city auditor? Should we give the city auditor the ability to hire someone else? What does the term forensic audit mean? And in particular, uh, we found some gaps in our policy through all of this. The biggest gap being something I didn't know, which is that certain small amounts of expenses that the councillors incur that are billed centrally to the city don't get disclosed. I actually didn't know that. And so we're going to use this also as an opportunity to fix any issues in the policy. The other interesting question that's come up is, does it make sense for one councillor to be the signing authority for other councillors? Uh, and that's something else that's well worth discussing, but this is unearthed. So you're talking about getting more information available what, to the web and changing the system for improving what is a legitimate expense requirement. Precisely. Thank you for summarizing that in far fewer words than I used. Why was this all so contentious in the sense it took more than four hours? I wouldn't say that it was that contentious. Uh, I would say that it was that complicated. And just a matter of working through this stuff, because you know we are in a situation that we didn't contemplate. We only had the Office of the Integrity Commissioner and Ethics Advisor for a few years. By and large, it's worked very well. Um, but we never contemplated this situation. And surprisingly, what may seem like a, a pretty simple thing, it's actually really confusing. And we needed to work our way through some of the legal aspects of that. We need to work our way through how that recusal ended up happening, whether we followed a good process uh, in terms of that. You know, certainly I don't mind saying that some councillors felt a bit flat-footed when they saw that that recusal had happened and they weren't sure how that had occurred and we just hadn't had a chance to come together to have that conversation and so it was a good opportunity to do that today. So now that you've had a conversation with Mr. Lovecchio, is there satisfaction that he did absolutely nothing wrong in spending time socially with one of the 15 people he could potentially investigate? Look, there's a, it's fair to say there are differences of opinion on that question, but there are also differences of opinion among judges on how they deal with people that they might be dealing with later. What is clear, and I think what Council is united on, is the fact that once that came up in an absolute abundance of caution, it made sense for the Integrity Commissioner to recuse himself. 
Like, do I believe that he would have been biased in his investigation because of that lunch? No, I don't. But do I believe that it made sense for him to do the very ethical thing and say, I better step back so there's no perception of bias? Yes, I think that was the right thing to do. So does he maintain counsel's confidence in the role? Well, certainly uh, you didn't see any action taken on that front today, and I think that speaks volumes. There's no doubt they need to tighten things up to close the loopholes. I can't for one moment understand, though, why a councillor was ever put in charge of approving other councillors' expenses. It seems absurd. There are a lot of questions that come from this. For the public, they should be asking why this detailed information isn't more readily available. Why did the Calgary Herald have to submit a freedom of information and privacy request to get it? I also submitted an expense-related request last week after asking the city clerk's office for the requested information. I was told it would have to be FOIPed. Why is that the case? Why is any of this public government information held so secretly? For me, the cynical journalist, it leaves me with the impression that something is being hidden. Now, I know that they're trying to comply with all applicable privacy laws, but having to jump through hoops to get information that the public has a right to is outright obstructive. It does absolutely nothing for transparency. And perhaps if the information was more readily available to begin with, there would already be in place a self-policing that wouldn't require such exigent action on the part of council. I guess we'll all have to stay tuned this week for the latest on Councillor Joe Maglioka's expenses. That's the lid on another episode. My special thanks go out to Richard Manns and Laura Eisted for some great conversations this month. And of course, to you, the listener, for tuning in. We'll get back at it again next month. I look forward to having you along for the ride. So long.